All right, good morning, Summit Church. How y'all doing today? Good. I'm Tom Morrison. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Summit Church, and I have to tell you, I'm super excited. I know I don't always show it um, on the outside, but I really am super excited for today. I have the honor and privilege of introducing a, a dear friend, um, Jim Ladd, who is our candidate for our lead senior pastor. He'll be speaking today. Jim and Sue have been and are trusted friends of this church for at least 20 years or so. Jim uh, served as the executive pastor here for about three years, and then he served as senior lead pastor for about six plus years before God called him to Evergreen Christian Community. Jim has also been walking with us elders here in this transitional season that we've been on for the last nine or so months or longer. And just giving us guidance and in, in his wisdom and helping us navigate through this. He's, and he's done it with just a pure, pure heart. Um, he's also helped us um, modify our bylaws such that we can strengthen them um, to be more of an elder-led model that we've talked about here in our informational meetings and that we're going to be adopting. And he's all on board for that. I think when you get to know Jim and Sue and you know their hearts, you see that he is really genuine. He loves people. He loves Jesus. He loves this church. He just has a really, really deep bond for this church, which is just awesome. <clears throat> and the elders do believe that Jim is the right person at the right time for this position as we move forward into this new season. And the elders are unanimous in that decision. The other thing that I want to just to point out real quickly is that, you know, God has been on work in this whole transition period and confirming it every step of the way for both the elder team and for Jim and Sue, Sue Ladd. And we can, we can share some of those stories that we have with you. So it's an exciting time today for Summit and an exciting time here for the future of our church. And let's give Jim a warm Summit welcome. Oh, good morning. Have I got this turned on? Am I okay? Yeah, all right. Uh, man, if we're going to be family, we got to get used to just telling the truth, shaming the devil, because I'm a big fan of just telling the truth. I'm more nervous than a freshman on the first day of school, so uh, be patient with me. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a road we have been on, you, us, and the Lord, and just super excited. And I'm just going to dive right into the Word of God and into our conversation today. I believe that the Lord wants to speak to you. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, get your phone out. If you have a Bible app, uh, one of the things I want you to do is just get really comfortable holding and engaging the Word of God. It is so critical to our lives. And uh, we are, man, we are people who are faithful to God and to His Word. So uh, that's just central to us. And while you turn there, uh, let me just kind of set the stage for our conversation today. The idea of God is a, just a monumental idea. I mean, it's a, it's a huge idea, and it's a complicated idea. The idea of being the people of God, having, understanding what God thinks about people. What does God think about all people? Does God have favorites? Does God love some people and hate other people? What's it like to want to know God? Psalm 42, 2, he says, my soul longs for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And I think this is the desire of human beings. We're hardwired with that desire. We might not always understand that for what it is, but that's in us to want to know God. And yet God seems like a complicated topic 
People struggle to understand what is he like. Uh, I was looking this, uh, actually this morning, I wondered how many denominations are there in the United States? 200 denominations of Christian churches in the United States as we kind of see God differently and start to huddle according to those beliefs. And in the world, there's over 3,000 Christian denominations. Wars have been fought in the name of God. People have been brutalized in the name of God. Racism flourished in the name of God. Uh, I mean, it's just a, throughout human history, human history really is in lots of ways uh, colored by uh, the man's quest to figure God out and to then build their lives around that. And here's the thing I want you to know. It's just not that complicated. This is the beauty. You know, they say that uh, smart people can make simple things complicated, but geniuses can make complicated things very simple. And this is what God has done for us. He has made all of these complex questions actually very simple. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a parable in Luke 10 called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this parable is significant because I believe that it is the entire gospel, it is the entire view of who is God, who is man, what does God think of man, all of it, what should I do with my life, all of it is contained in this story. So if you have been in church for a long time and this story is very familiar to you, I want you to read it with us and engage with it brand new. And I want you to watch as God reveals all these critical questions and makes the truth about who he is and what he's called us to do, very, very simple. And I love that. I love simplicity. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a genius. I need simplicity. And this is what I love about my relationship with God. When it gets confusing, when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, uh, when I encounter abundance, when I encounter tragedy, God, as I cling to him, as I meet with him, as I walk with him, he continues to make it just as simple as, here's the way, walk in it. And it's really, really helpful. So that's where we're going to go today in Luke 10. So um, if you have that in front of you, and I would love it if you kept that, if it's on your phone or if you have a, a paper Bible, I would love it if you, uh, see I just said Bible. You can tell I'm not from around here. I grew up in Dallas, and so uh, sometimes that Texas thing comes out, open your Bible, uh, and... and uh, when you pastor in other places, you try to, you know, squelch that. So every once in a while, it'll come out. All right. I want you to hold your Bible open to Luke 10 as we walk through this passage. And uh, we're going to trust God to speak to us in a pretty important way. All right. So it is my custom to stand for the reading of God's word, if you're willing and able to do so. We're going to read Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 25 and read this parable. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Again, keep your Bible open to there. And we're going to kind of walk through this story. Our big idea today is that the, the heart of God is not complicated. And our mission as the people of God is crystal clear. Okay, so there's lots of denominations. There's lots of ways to think about God. People in chasing God, finding God, communicating God. Uh, there's people that, man, I just, that embarrass us. I used to, uh, there was a time at our church in Washington where a group of all guys in a room were like, what should be our slogan? And we said, uh, love God, love people, don't suck. And uh, we were in love with this. We're like, this is, the, this is great because everybody, like the, like the world knows what it is to suck. Like they, you just, somebody does something, you go, man, you suck, Right? Uh, so it's, it needs no explanation. It's crystal clear. And then when we invited some women into the conversation, they said that was a terrible idea. So we didn't go with it. But, but this, is, this, is, uh, this is the simplicity. Listen, God's heart is not complicated. And the mission he calls us to as we enter into his heart, as we are redeemed by his love, as we join his family, the mission he puts us on is crystal clear. That's the big idea today. And here's the thing. God's heart's not complicated. It is simply summed up in one word, love. Now, the problem culturally is that people want to measure God by their definition of love. So uh, the truth is not that uh, love is God. The truth is God is love. So God is not defined by how you and I think about love. Love is defined by God. And this is the essence of his nature. Everything he has ever done has been motivated by his love. And so this is who he is. This is what he does. And so when you're wondering, if you ever go in a zone where you're feeling disconnected from God, you're feeling like God is sick and tired of you, remember the essence of his nature. He is love. This is why I love Jesus so much. Hebrews 1.1 says that in, the, in former days, God spoke to us in various means and various ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. So if you ever get confused about what God is thinking of you, if you ever get confused about who God is, look at Jesus because he is the exact representation of God. And what is Jesus? Man, he, he so loved the world. God so loved, he gave. So it's not complicated. God is love and he wants us to enter into, find our life in that love, find him in that love. And then our mission is crystal clear. Now, here's what I love about this, this parable. When we take communion, I love communion because when we stand there with the cup and the bread, 
we hold the entire foundation of our belief system right there. It just really simplifies it. Jesus gave his body for us. He shed his blood and he established a new covenant for us in the shedding of his blood. He is our bread. He is our hope. He is our life. He has nailed our condemnation to the cross. I mean, communion really is the gospel, the good news about God right there in your hands. I love it every time we take communion. The Good Samaritan is exactly the same way. This story, this uh, parable by Jesus tells us everything we need to know, not just about what it is, who my neighbor is, not just answering the question that was the original question. You notice when we started, the question was, what must I do to have eternal life? It's not just the answer to that question. It's way more. It's that question. And what is God like? And how is God approaching me as I search for him? And what is it like once I find him? What does he want me to participate in? What's it like to be the people of God? What's it like to live with God and for God amongst other broken people? This story tells it all. So here we go. You ready? Let's get going. There was a man, a certain man, who went from Jericho or from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you know anything about that road, uh, it's a very treacherous, dangerous road. And uh, it was not uncommon for robbers to occupy that area because there were a lot of remote places where they could do damage and nobody would know. But I want you to focus on this idea. A certain man went from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. When we go to heaven, God will walk us into a new eternity, into a new Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. A certain man is going from the presence of God, where? To Jericho. If you know anything about Jericho, Jericho was the first city when the slaves came out of Egypt. It was the first place that God destroyed for them. And God said, if anyone ever rebuilds this city, it will be at the price of their firstborn son. Sure enough, many years later, a man went and rebuilt the city and his firstborn son died. God did not want that city rebuilt. It's a picture of man leaving the presence of God and going on his own, trying to build his own life. God said, I'm not gonna bless that. And man, this just gets so good. I'm wanting to jump ahead of myself because the story is so good. That certain man is Adam. There was a certain man, he went from the presence of God to away from God. And that man is Adam, and that man is you, and that man is me. That is us, that is humanity. God created us, put us in paradise with him, offered us life with him. I mean, it was great. Everybody's naked, there's no rain. Um, uh, Everything just grows from the ground. Uh, You get to hang out with all the animals. Can you imagine that if you're an animal person? Uh, it's just it's just paradise, and God walks with them in the cool of the day, like everything you could imagine. And yet, the serpent is there, and here we get down the trail. What happens to the man, this certain man, as he goes from Jerusalem to Jericho? He is he is accosted by robbers who beat him, strip him naked, rob him, and leave him half dead. Remember what God said in the garden, if you eat the, tree, the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. And, they, and the robber, the enemy, said, oh, you won't die. If you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like God. You'll know good from evil. God's holding out on you. And this is the impulse of all of us, why we stop trusting God and trust ourselves more than we trust God. This is why we 
uh, want control of things rather than trusting God, we inherently think that we're smart. And uh, so they fell for this. And uh, death entered in. They became half dead. What else happened to them in the garden? They recognized that they were naked. They had no idea that they should be ashamed of their bodies until that moment. And they begin to cover themselves up and they hide from God. There was a certain man, humanity, decides to leave God's gift of relationship with God and presence with God and trust in God and go it on our own. And on the way, we are beaten, robbed, stripped naked, ashamed of ourselves and left half dead. Along comes a priest, says that a priest comes along and the priest passes on the other side. Now, a lot of people say, well, this is religion and this is, this is how awful religion is. It doesn't even care about the person who's been beaten and robbed and left half dead. Well, who is the priest? Well, it's interesting. Um, the priesthood began actually before Moses with a guy named Melchizedek, but he's not really an established priesthood, but he's the first reference to a priest in the Bible is a guy named Melchizedek and Abraham tithes to him. And we know very little about Melchizedek, except that he's a forerunner of Jesus. So it's a really cool thing to look into at some point if you want to study that. But the first priest actually is Moses. Moses becomes the, the connection between God and man. A priest is a person who delivers religious goods and services so that people can connect to God. And Moses is the first one of those. In fact, October 1st, should, you, uh, should the Lord guide you to elect me as your pastor, on October 1st, I will be here with you and we'll be baptizing people in water. Baptism actually began back with Moses as God led the people through the river and they were baptized, the New Testament tells us, into Moses. So Moses is a representation for them to God and they are now uh, benefiting from the priesthood of Moses. But what did Moses give us? He gave us the law. And if you come along a path and there's a person robbed, beaten, naked, half dead, and our culture is filled with them, lost, confused, addicted, enslaved. Telling them the law doesn't do a thing for them. The priest is not negligent. He just doesn't have what the wounded person needs. The Bible teaches us that the purpose of the law was to let us know that we are far from God. Like the law is, is the law's purpose is to show us our powerlessness. Well, if a guy's already beaten and stripped and naked and suffering, you don't need to tell him he's powerless. And so the priest has nothing to offer him because all the priest can tell him is, you should not have done this and this. And what are you doing leaving Jerusalem anyway? And how, why are you walking on that road? And the law would tell you to stay here. And the law says to do this. It's completely unuseful. And this is a problem in our culture as we encounter friends and family members who are walking through all kinds of confusion in their soul. And if all the thing the church can do is tell them the law, it is of no help to them. And so the priest passes by. Next, a Levite comes. Levites are a different level. Levites were the people who administered the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. So what they would do is slaughter the animals, shed the blood, work the altars, and there would be a substitutionary payment for your sin. But what it would do is it would reconnect you to God now, but not forever. Because you had to keep going back year after year after year to have a sacrifice made for you because the sacrifice could not remove your sin. 
This is why Jesus becomes the living sacrifice. We only need him one time for he always takes away our sin. But in the precursor to Christ, the Levites would administer this blood sacrifice for the remission of sins because back in Genesis 3, God said without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin and the price would be paid for. But the Levite too is powerless for the man on the trail because I could slaughter an animal and I could intercede for you and I could ask God to forgive your sin right now, but that doesn't dress you, clothe you, heal you, or deliver you. It gives you a momentary connection to God, but not a permanent solution. So much of religion does that. The idea of religion is man's effort to connect back to God. And so every religion on planet earth tells you, here's the deal. God is good, you are bad, do better. And if you do better enough and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then at the very end, you'll be put on a scale. And if you did good enough, God will accept you. It's not helpful. You know why? Good enough? <laughs> I don't know about you. You know, people don't like to be told they're a sinner. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't sin, I make mistakes. I know, but I couldn't help but notice you're a habitual mistaker. And that's us. We're habitual mistakers. I need something more. So the Levite can't help him. And along comes a Samaritan. This is where the story gets great. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. In fact, you saw at the end of the story when Jesus said, which of these three was a neighbor to this man? The guy can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. So he just says, the one who had mercy on him. He can't say the word Samaritan. They hate the Samaritans. Why? It's a long background. Basically, the summation is they're half-breeds. Samaritans were half-Jew and half-someone else. So they, would, they married together, they had children together, and the Jews began to hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans kept trying to worship God. Uh, they had their own expression of Jewish faith. That's why when you see Jesus meet the woman at the well, she has this debate with him about worship because she's a Samaritan and she says, you Jews think this, but we Samaritans think that. There's just division. Who's the Samaritan? The Samaritan is Jesus, who is the half-breed, who is God himself, now mingled with man. And who does God identify himself? When the incarnation, man, the incarnation is the hope of the world. It is, if you want to understand the heartbeat of God, just stare at the incarnation. God became flesh. How did he do it? Did he enter into a palace? Did he enter into a, a house of power? Did he enter a family of great wealth? No. A teenage girl in a two-stick town is virgin conceived with a child laid in a feeding trough because there's no room at the end. He enters into poverty. He enters into the least of these. God identifies with the broken. Along comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? What does the Samaritan do? He kneels and he, medicine, he, he treats him with wine and oil. If you know anything about those metaphors throughout the entire scriptures, the oil is always the Holy Spirit. We have lamps in the oil, uh, oil in the lamps in the, in the tabernacle for the presence of the Spirit. We are anointed with oil. If any of you are sick, call the elders of the church, let them anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will make you well, you'll recover. You have this person of the Holy Spirit. The, the priests would be anointed by God. The kings would be anointed by God. The Holy Spirit 
the Samaritan, Jesus, gets down on his knees with the broken, naked, robbed, half-dead person. And he doesn't give him the law. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have been on that road. He doesn't say, what are you thinking? He doesn't say, why weren't you obedient? He pours out oil and wine. What's the wine? The wine is the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of the new covenant. We're back to communion now, where this blood has been shed for me. You know, uh, when I was early in my Christian life, really embarrassingly all the way into being a pastor, I couldn't get free from my guilt and shame. I loved that Jesus died for my sins before I knew him, but I couldn't reconcile my sin after I knew him. And all I would feel is guilt and shame. And I had this kind of church environment that was telling me that uh, if I was sinning when I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. Like, because you're sinning. And I'm like, well, I don't understand what Jesus actually did for me then. And then when I got my arms around the grace of God and the sufficiency of the cross and the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, which is God has decided to redeem you. You didn't earn it. You didn't even ask for it. He did it before you even were aware that you were far from God. He loved us. And what did he do? He nailed our condemnation to the cross and established a new covenant with God, which is God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Here's the thing that's amazing. This is hard to get your arms around, especially if you were raised up in a church that had a bunch of legalism in it and a bunch of uh, laws and rules and all that. Jesus Christ died for our sins and not only ours, but the sins of the entire world. The whole world can be forgiven in Jesus if they receive what he has done for them. The whole world. There are people who will tell you God loves some people and he doesn't love others. And he redeems some and he doesn't redeem others. God offers his grace. God so loved the world that he gave his son that all would not perish but come to everlasting life. John 3, 17, he did not send his son of the world to condemn it, but that the world might find life in his name. What is the heart of God? Love. He is in hot pursuit of every one of us. He is in hot pursuit of our friends. If you have family or friends, or if you're sitting in this room, somebody drug you here and you're like hanging out and you don't really know what you believe about all this stuff and you're struggling to understand God, I want you to know he's in hot pursuit of you. He loves you. You're on his mind and heart. And he gave himself on the cross to nail your condemnation to the tree. You can be free. Not just today not just for a moment, not just till you sin again. You can be free forever. How? He administers the spirit and the blood and he washes you clean. And now you are baptized. This is so much fun. We'll do this October 1. Baptized now into the Lord Jesus Christ. The, old, the, the Jews were baptized into Moses and they had a relationship with God because of Moses. We are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering us and we are now adopted into his family forever. So what does he do with the wounded person? He scoops him up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the inn. And he spends the day at the inn with him, continuing to treat him. And then he says to the innkeeper, Take care of him. He gave him two denarii. You can really go down a trail here. Two denarii are two days' wages. Um, in the Bible, you know, a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. A lot of people say, oh, 2,000 years. 
We're right, it's time, it's time for Jesus to come back because he says, I will come back and when I do, I'll repay you for whatever you, but take care of this guy. Here's the crystal clear mission for people of Jesus. Take care of this guy. Keep taking care of him, nurse him, treat him, grow him, get him healthy, help him flourish. And whatever it costs you, don't worry about it, just do it. And if it costs you more than you have, I'll repay you when I come back. This is the church, the end is the church. And Summit Church, this is the mission God has for us. It's not confusing. It's crystal clear. We are the people of God who have been found dead on the road, half naked, half dead, uh, robbed and beaten. Some of us beat ourselves, we're so stupid. Some of us sabotaged our lives and ruined things. And along came Christ and he found us. And he administered to us the blood and the spirit and redeemed us to himself. And we've been transformed. And he took us to the end. And maybe you went to an end that wasn't very kind. But the, the end has a mission. It's occupied by fellow half-dead, naked, transformed people who now take turns caring for one another and also being ready for Jesus to keep bringing us more who are on the road. You know, when you're on that road and you see a, somebody this is really helpful when you think about how do I share my faith? How do I help people who are far from God, who are trapped in addiction? How do I help people? It's the oil and the wine. It's, it's always that. It's going to always be that. It's not you. It's not your superpower. It's you letting Jesus do what only Jesus can do. Uh, it's so clear and so simple. Love. Love. It's interesting because Jesus now, we are, I love this part, what the scripture says about our lives. We are now, our lives are now hidden with God in Christ. And that means, man, I'm always with God. Can you imagine what life would be like if we lived in a constant awareness of that? But man, you're always with God. You're all, your life is hidden in him. And so now you are now the Samaritan too, because Christ lives in you and you walk the trail, and your only job on that trail is the blood and the, is the, blood and the spirit. It's the, it's the oil and the wine, not the law. Does, does the law matter? Yeah, the law matters for people who are redeemed. I don't know if you watch The Chosen. Um, I don't know if you, what you think about the show, The Chosen. I'm getting some blank stares. It's a, it's a great show. It's, it's the life of Jesus. Anyway, um, early on, um, Jesus uh, has this gal follow him and her dad is ticked about it. And this guy tracks Jesus down many, many miles away and he's mad that Jesus convinced his daughter to follow him. And he's and he, like, you took my daughter and she, she belongs with me. And uh, he says to Jesus, you demand so much from your followers. Jesus said, yes, but almost nothing from those who don't follow me. I love that because we can stare at the broken world, the naked world, the robbed world, the enslaved world, and we can be mad. We can be mad that they're in that state of being. We can be mad that their woundedness is causing all kinds of problems for us. We can be mad that they're a mess and they're hard and they're labor intensive. We can be mad that they ought to, they ought to know better. Or we can be Jesus and we can administer the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God loves you. And because God loves you, I love you. And there's going to come a day when 
what happens? We get the new Jerusalem. I just want to finish by reading you just a dose of that. In case I haven't been clear, because, you know, that happens. The heart of God is not complicated. It's love. And the mission for the people of God is crystal clear. It is love. It is take care of the broken. It is take care of the wounded. It is love one another and let Jesus administer oil and wine right through us. Okay, I just want to make sure, just, just cut to the chase there in case you didn't get it. Revelation 22. Verse 1, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is, this is a glimpse into our eternal, in our eternal home. He showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of that city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. We're right back in paradise with God. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will, be no, there will not need uh, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Man, God loves you. Christ has entered into our story to heal us, to deliver us, to restore us, and to put us on mission at the end as a group of wounded healers who are ourselves continuing our recovery with him while we also help others find their recovery in him. And we live in unity and love and grace by the goodness of God while we hold up truth to the world, not condemnation, not hate, the love of God. Now here's the deal. If you haven't entered into that relationship with God, there's one simple door it is the only door. People really hate this. The world wants lots of doors. There's only one door. His name is Jesus. You don't have to do anything because he has done it for you. He is the door. How do I walk through that door? In Acts chapter 3, repent. Turn toward God and repent. That times of refreshing may come from God and your, your sins be forgiven. That's the door. So this isn't kumbaya, everything's great. There's, you know, this is, the world is broken. We got robbers out there trying to do us in. God is on mission to redeem us and bring us back to himself. And there's a door we walk through by faith to enter into that new reality, that healing, that blood and that oil. Jesus Christ himself. How do I enter in? I confess, God, I have not been living with you. I have been in Nineveh. I mean, I've been in, in uh, Jericho, not in Jerusalem. I've been in Jericho, not in Jerusalem. I left Jerusalem and I've been living on my own trying to make a way. By the way, whoever builds that city will give, do so at the cost of their firstborn son. Guess who's rebuilding the city? God is at the price of his own firstborn son. What an amazing, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's so incredible. The complete story of God, the grace of God from beginning to end. 
So my urging to you is if you don't know this delivering, transforming power of a relationship with God where he has administered to you the oil and the wine, the path in is a simple prayer of repentance. Again, God likes it simple. I call it the ABCs. I admit that I've been far from God and living on my own. I believe that Jesus Christ nailed my condemnation to the cross and he is the redeemer. And I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. It's not complicated. So easy a caveman could do it. So I want to pray for you. May today be a day where if you already know this great love of God, that it just swells again in your heart. May this be a day where the people of God are recalibrated again, that our mission is to join Jesus on his mission, going after the robbed, beaten, naked, half-dead people in our world. And that we do so with the same thing he did for us, the oil and the wine, helping people find their way into a relationship with God. And you, if you're not in that relationship, man, you can enter into it. My heart, I, I, I covet it for you, that you would know forgiveness of sin, that you would know times of refreshing from the Lord. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful. Oh, man, the grace of God is jaw-droppingly beautiful. And our robber, the enemy that fights against us, who keeps trying to steal from us, who keeps trying to beat us, who keeps trying to leave us naked and half dead, he's telling a different story about you, God. He's telling us that you're mad at us. He's telling us that you don't love us. He's telling us that we've blown it now so far gone that we could never find our way home. But you come, you enter into our story, the incarnation, unbelievable. You love us, you forgive us, you restore us, you pour into us the blood of a new covenant that you have forgiven our sin forever. God, I pray that we would live in the joy of this incredible reality. And I pray for anyone in the room who's been on a journey trying to find you and they've been confused or unclear about what that is and how do we even find our way to God? pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work this morning and draw them to yourself. I pray that you would help them to pray a simple prayer in their own heart. No one can pray it for them. No one can do this for them. So help them to pray a simple prayer in their heart. Lord, I admit that I've been far from you on the wrong road. I believe that Jesus Christ is my delivering, saving King. And I confess Jesus in my own life. Lord, as they do that, I pray that you would do what the scriptures promise you will do, that your spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. Do that right now, I pray, in our hearts. And Lord, as Summit is in this place of finding our way forward, may we rally around the clear, crystal clear mission of the end to take care of people that Jesus is redeeming to take care of people that Jesus is healing, to be wounded healers loving one another in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, through the grace of Jesus. And may we shine like stars in this dark world as we hold out the grace of God that transforms life. May all that occur in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.